Welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, an outreach of Greater Works Christian Church here in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Robert Enos. If you like what you hear, visit us at gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Find the Table Flippers link, click on it, and you'll get to our merchandise. Now, get ready for a huge dose of truth and a huge dose of common sense. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. What an interesting day it is today. What is today? Today is Thursday, March 30th, and my clock says 2.44 p.m. So, this is when this is being recorded. I have a couple of uh, articles that I want to read to you and make some points. But before I do that, I want to read something else to you, just briefly. These are the names of some of the podcast episodes, and I'm just going to scroll through them and just go and just share with you a little bit about what we've been talking about. Uh, My last podcast was Cops Are Heroes in Nashville, and this has to do with the Nashville shooting. The one just before that, School Shooting in Nashville and the Failure of Liberalism. And that's really, honestly, ladies and gentlemen, um, this is not conspiracy. This is not trying to be political. This is just truth, and truth makes you free. It's the failed policies and ideology of liberalism That has led to not only that school shooting, but all the other school shootings. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, liberalism. Anyways, let's go on. Oh, here's one. Hey, parents, perverts are after your kids. Yep, that's true. Uh, Racism in America. Who are the racists? Question mark. Because the reason I put it that way is because many of the people that are labeled racist aren't actually the racist. The people labeling them as racist are. And most of the time now, that's what we're facing. So please be careful, ladies and gentlemen, by, uh, um, you know, when you use that word, hey, that person or that is racist, be very careful. You may have been duped and you may actually be the racist. Um, oh, here's one. Racism at the Department of Defense. You wouldn't think that the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, would would have be loaded with racism, but it is. Here's one. Racist pantries and racist wildlife. Yeah, you read that right. Racist pantries and racist wildlife. You got to listen to that one. That, I mean, because those are some articles by people that are supposed to be very educated. And when you really start reading it and understanding where all of this nonsense of, you know, racism is going, you realize that the people that are behind it... Uh, are actually very smart. They're wicked, but they're smart. They know how to first dupe a whole group of people, okay, into believing such nonsense that if you have a clean pantry in your home, you're a racist. Or if you live in a neighborhood where wildlife can be seen, like if you see a little raccoon running across your lawn, you're you're a racist, okay? I, I You have to listen to it, the whole thing. And uh, I'll stop right there. But you can see where some of these have been going. And these often, like I said, I started this podcast and here's how I figure out what I'm going to talk about, whatever catches my attention. And yesterday I didn't I didn't produce a podcast mainly because I was doing some research and reading and I had to be at a meeting somewhat early so I didn't have time to actually do the podcast. So I'm going to I'm going to share with you some of the research that I come up with and when I say research, I'm I'm going to read some articles to you. I do other research than just the articles I read, but the reason I read the articles is because, again, we have this problem in America. For instance, if I come out and said something like, the COVID vaccines, so-called cat vaccines, because they're not vaccines at all, but the COVID jabs, 
are killing people. There will actually be people around me. Well, who do you think you are? Do you have a medical degree? Listen, you don't need a medical degree to be able to to read medical reports. You don't need a medical degree to actually read what the actual CDC and the World Health Organization, two very, very corrupt organizations, by the way, but when they have, when their hand is forced and they have to admit that they failed and they put out documents showing that these so-called vaccines are actually killing people, lots of people, more people than the actual COVID. You don't have to have a doctor's degree. You don't have to have a medical degree to be able to read that. You don't. And we get into this thing of uh, uh, in our day and age that if you're not a quote-unquote expert on it, like I can read an article. I can read an article that cites and quotes uh, brilliant people. I can read that and I can get at least an idea of what's going on in the world. And then when I bring it out, oh, if I said it myself without actually citing these very brilliant people, who do you think you are? Are you a sociologist? Are you a physiatrist? You know, people can't even say the words. I'm, I'm having fun with it, but they can't even say the words and they don't want to listen to you because you don't have that little, you know, what is it, PhD or MD or whatever it is for that particular thing. It's the same way. It's like, I can look at a flat tire on a car and tell you, you have a flat tire. Oh, what are you? Are you a certified mechanic or something? Are you a car doctor? No, I'm just somebody that knows what a flat tire looks like. And if there's a big nail hanging out of it or a screw hanging out of it, I could probably tell you what the problem is. Who do you think you are? I'm taking it to my certified mechanic. He'll tell me what it is. It's like, fine, do that. <laughs> But that's how weird and strange our world has become, you know, and that 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 people it, it's like they can't even read something and understand what they're reading, nor it, or if somebody else reads it and understands it and quotes it, suddenly they're dismissed because they're not an expert or they're dismissed for other reasons, which kind of leads me to what I'm a, what I want to talk to you about because we have this huge problem in our in our country today about racism. Yeah, we do have a big racist problem in America, ladies and gentlemen, but it's not exactly what you might think it is. I want to read this, uh, these two articles. And the first article was written by John Stossel. Some of you may know who this is. And this, it's called Diversity Training Disaster. And it was actually published March 22nd, 2023. So um, about a week ago, a little more than a week ago, and it was published in freedomsjournalinstitute.org. Again, I'll leave the link in the description of this particular episode. And it says, all big American companies now require DEI training, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So they require, all big American companies now require diversity, equity, and inclusion training. And it says, all big companies, exclamation point, really, period. It sounds responsible, but it turns out DEI, when I say DEI, ladies and gentlemen, that means diversity, equity, and inclusion training. But it turns out DEI courses are often useless and sometimes racist. (laughs) Go figure. Anyways, let me get through this. First comes groveling. My new video about DEI shows a conference that begins with a land acknowledgement 
a Microsoft employee apologized for taking land from the Samat. These are um, some, I, I believe they're Native American tribes, so I'm going to try to say them, ladies and gentlemen. Please forgive me if I butcher these names. Sam Mamish, the Duwamish, Snoqualmie, Suquamish, and the Muckleshoot, and more. So a, a Microsoft employee apologized for taking land from one, two, three, four, five, these five um, tribes, Native American tribes. I guess it's a nice gesture, but they aren't giving the land back. So they go. They make these employees go through this, uh, apologizing, but not giving anything back anyways. And I don't know about you, ladies and gentlemen, because I've been accused, just because of the color of my skin, I've been accused of um, taking land from Native peoples. I never took anything from anybody. I've been accused of being a slave owner, and I was never around when slavery was a thing at all. But just because of the color of my skin... I've been accused of being racist just because of the color of skin. Not anything that I did or said, but because of the color of my skin. And, oh, what was the other? A colonizer. I've been accused of being a colonizer. I've never colonized anything. And maybe, I know I've said this a few times about different things, but maybe I'll just do a podcast episode on colonization, okay? Because, well, anyways, we'll get into that at some other point. Again, so after this apology to these Indian tribes, Stossel writes, I guess it's a nice gesture, but they aren't giving anything back. Companies go through the motions. They feel like they have to, says York College professor Eric Smith. They have to signal to the world that they're doing something. Now, the next article is actually written by Eric Smith, professor Eric Smith. And and so that's why I wanted to do these two back to back. So uh, Stossel quotes Eric Smith, but then I'm going to get into the other one written by Eric Smith. It says they hope it will protect them from the Equal Employment Opportunity Commissions and lawsuits. Smith was once a diversity officer. He left the position because he thought it was useless. <laughs> so Professor Eric Smith was, what do they call him, a diversity officer, but he left the position because he thought it was useless. Or worse, it makes people less likely to interact with people unlike them, he says. It's a minefield now. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the truth. And ladies and gentlemen, that's the goal. Because remember back in the day, we have people like uh, Rosa Parks who refused to go to the back of the bus. And there were certain people that refused. Remember, we, they had in certain places of this country drinking fountains for white folks and then drinking fountains for black folks, okay? And and um, it got to the point where many of the black folks, thank God, said, enough's enough. No, I'm not going to give up my seat on the bus for a white person. I was here first. I have the same rights as everybody else. No, I'm not going to use a special nasty bathroom I'm going to use whatever bathroom I want to, you know, males and male, men's bathroom and females and females bathroom. But you get the point. No white bathroom, black bathroom. And thank God they did that. And they stood up and then that was eradicated. What all of this DEI kind of mentality has led us to is now there are many calling for, um, uh, I think they call them safe spaces, but it doesn't matter basically segregation again because black people should have their space that's just unique to them and for them where white people aren't welcome to come in and and what what muddy the waters or something and all the white people could be over there and the black people could be over there ladies and gentlemen that's what people such as 
Martin Luther King Jr. gave his life for to bring an end to that kind of nonsense. That's what caused Rosa Parks to stay on that bus and not give up her seat on that bus and stand strong against it. That's what people, people, black people in, a, in America, true heroes, stood against that kind of nonsense so that they can be seen and treated just like everybody else. And now there's black people calling for the very things that they gave their life up for. Do you see how convoluted all of this has become? It, it, it's ridiculous. Anyways, let me go on with this. It says, at diversity trainings, employees learn about microaggressions, speech that's, that's subtly biased. If you ask somebody what they do for a living, somehow that's racist, says Smith. If you learn that, then why would you take the chance? I'm going to silence myself, not talk to black people. And ladies and gentlemen, again, I just want to chime in on this again. That is exactly what's happening. And that's exactly why they have these things. They're trying to drive a wedge between white people and black people yet again. Who's behind it? The liberal Democrat party. I hate to keep bringing everything back to politics, but everything can be brought back to politics for the most part. And this is certainly it. You have these politicians, these Democrats, under the under that smoke and mirrors, under that cloud of saying, we're going to bring everybody to a place of equality and equity. That word equity has been used a lot. And yet most people have no clue what equity actually means. But nonetheless, so they, they have this thing that they're really pushing. They're pushing it on every level. And, and uh, Barack Obama was a big pusher of this. Not to end racism, but it creates racism. And they absolutely know this. It creates racism. And they know this. And they keep pushing it. Why, why would they do that? Because it's part of their agenda. If the Democrat Party didn't have uh, something that they can point at, like racism, or sexism, or homophobia, or transphobia, they would cease to exist. They're not the party of solutions. They're the party of problems. And then once they create a problem, then of course they have the answer to that problem, which is never an answer, all right? It, it never gets fixed. And we see this over and over and over and over again. What is the party that's pushing climate change and needing new taxes and more restrictions on you and I as Americans? Well, it's the Democrats, of course. So anytime the Democrats push on something, whether it be climate change, race, transgenderism, uh, homophobia, uh, whatever, you got to understand they're not doing it because they want to solve the problem. They are creating the problem that everybody will get scared, drive all these wedges between people and then they will come in and and act like they are the saviors to the very problems that they created all of this dei training and the things like it all it's doing is creating more racism because now like like and, and this gentleman by the way i was going to point this out later eric smith who's saying this who's being uh interviewed or being quoted in this he's actually a black gentleman a black um professor and he's the one saying it's nonsense 
Because now white people, what's happening is white people don't even want to have a conversation with a black person out of fear that they might say the wrong thing. Like, what do you do for a living? Suddenly, that's racist. How is that racist? Ladies and gentlemen, asking somebody what they do for a living is not racist. It's called conversation. Remember that thing that we used to do to get to know one another so that relationships and friendships could be built? Because when you find out somebody, you know, what they do, um, you know, their family kind of life. How many kids do you have? Are you married? You're not married? Oh, how's everything going? Do you have any kids? Oh, praise God. That's awesome. Wonderful. That's where relationships are built and friendships are built. And that works regardless of the color of your skin. That has nothing to do with race. So somebody, you know, a white guy asking a black guy, just trying to get to know him because he's interested in, in, in this person. This person is interesting and he wants to get to know this person. Hey, by the way, what do you do for a living? I remember asking that of a young man at the gym. Now it goes on maybe um, a few months ago. And um, here he is at the gym and we both go to the 12 o'clock, the noon class. And I just was curious because what, what kind of work gives uh, you know anybody that time frame from 12 to 1 to go to the gym. Not not very many jobs. So I was just curious. Hey, what do you do for... And he told me. I'm not going to tell you because that's personal to him. But he told me. And I don't think... You know, he didn't throw up his hands and get angry and cross his arms and say, that's racist. No, it wasn't. I was just curious what kind of job that he had that gave him time to go to the gym in the middle of the day. Another gentleman who happens to be Hispanic. Again, I just won't tell you his name only because these I didn't get their permission on this. You know, great guy. Awesome dude. He and I have become, uh, in my opinion, pretty, you know, at least friendly, good friends with everybody there in the gym. I just get along with everybody. They're all awesome people. And this gentleman happens to be Hispanic. Same type of thing. I was curious one day. I go, man, when do you... Because I heard him say something about work. I go, well, when do you go to work? He happens to work nights. Oh, that's why you're there in the middle of the day. That's a cool. And guess what? When they ask me, when a Hispanic man or a black man asks me, a white guy, what do you do for a living? I tell them, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. Actually, I'm an apostle, but that's okay. You know, which gives me relative uh, flexibility. I'm busy, but I can move that busyness around and... 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock just works best for me. You know what? I didn't look at those guys as being racist. I certainly didn't look at them as being racist. I just looked at them as being curious and wanting to get to know me, which I I uh, w- was pleased with. I'm happy with because I like these guys. These are cool dudes. So here they are just asking me questions about who I am as a person. And I'm asking questions of them, who they are as people. Not getting super, you know, like intimate, nothing like that, you know. I don't want to barge in and, you know, say or ask something that genuinely is wrong. But none of it is based upon race, ladies and gentlemen. None of that. Anyways, let me let me go on because, uh, anyways. So we have these microaggressions, which is basically s- subtle, biased speech. Can't even ask somebody what they do for a living because that could be racist. It goes on to say, a Coca-Cola diversity training tells employees... Be less white. Oh, I remember this. Yeah, Coca-Cola actually had some diversity training where they told all their white employees to be less white. Being white includes being oppressive, arrogant, defensive, and ignorant. So at Coca-Cola, ladies and gentlemen, 
I don't drink sodas, but if I were to drink sodas, I would be shifting over to Pepsi right now. Um, just saying, because this is nonsense. Coca-Cola diversity training tells employees be less white. Being white includes being oppressive, arrogant, defensive, and ignorant. I mean, um, that statement in and of itself from whoever taught this and trained this and Coca-Cola allowing it, that statement towards white people is oppressive, arrogant, defensive, and certainly ignorant. And it's it's hard for me to believe that Coca-Cola as a, as a company that's as um, you know, well off as it is, as big as it is, and make the money that they make, they have to have, have you know, some brains in Coca-Cola to do what they've been able to do, yet they were not smart enough to know that this is absolute foolishness and stupidity, and they actually paid money to have somebody come in and teach their employees to stop being white, or to be less white. I'm sorry, I don't want to misquote this. To be less white. And what they mean by that is, to be less white, if being white includes being oppressive, arrogant, defensive, and ignorant. So to be less white, you have to be less oppressive, less arrogant, less defensive, and less ignorant. But again, I don't know who, don't care. I don't care who said this. I don't care where this came from. All I know is this was taught at Coca-Cola. So whoever approved this and whoever taught this is truly the oppressive person, the arrogant person, the defensive person, and the ignorant person. And since this was taught at Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola hasn't apologized for this, Coca-Cola is oppressive, arrogant, defensive, and ignorant. Let me finish because I just took my blood pressure before I started this and it was like perfect. I was so happy. So I started this really happy, but now I feel my blood pressure going up. Jeez. That is by no means a white thing, says Smith. The point is to demonize the other side. And that's exactly what this is all about. It's not about bringing people together. It's about driving them apart. How do you drive them apart? By demonizing the other side. Worst of all, despite the $3 billion spent on DEI training by American companies today, DEI training uh, trainings don't do what they're supposed to do. A Harvard professor analyzed studies of them and says, sadly enough, I did not find one single study which found that diversity training leads to more diversity. Let me, let me repeat that again. A Harvard professor analyzed studies of them saying, sadly enough, I did not find one single study which found that diversity training leads to more diversity. No, but if we got into it, I would almost guarantee, you've heard me say this before, ladies and gentlemen, I say it again, if I was a betting man, I would bet on this and I would probably make a lot of money that instead of bringing people together, bringing greater diversity and bringing people together, what it's probably done is caused more division. Ladies and gentlemen, I know this because that's what this is supposed to do. Demonize the other side and then push those two sides uh, away from each other. It goes on to say a different Harvard Business Review study analyzed data from 800 companies and found that five years after diversity training, the share of black women managers decreased by 9%. That in five years, 800 companies that were studied with this after they've had this diversity training going on, the share of black women managers decreased by 9%. Well, there you goes, ladies and gentlemen. As they would say, the proof is in the pudding. This uh, DEI is actually working exactly the way they want it to work. You say they want to put black people out? Yes and no. It's not about whether or not there's more or less 
black women managers. It's about driving a wedge between the races and even the socioeconomic classes, okay, to such a point that it ends up either like this. Now, if it was up 9%, a lot of people would apply and go, see, it's working. It still wouldn't be working because why? You see, that's the point. It doesn't matter if there's more, say, uh, minorities working in upper management or less. That's not the issue. That's not the point. The point is they want to drive a wedge between races, socioeconomic groups, and all of that. So if, if check this out. So let's say you have 100 managers in a company, right? And I'll just use this. These aren't real world numbers, ladies and gentlemen. I admit that. I'm just making this up on the fly. So if they have 100 managers, and let's say um, 25 of them happen to be black and 75 white or some other race. Okay, so let's just say white white against black. That's what they want. So 75 white managers, 25 black managers. They come in there with this DEI training, this diversity training, and then they come back five years later after they've been doing this ongoing training and they find, let's say that that number uh, from 25 black managers shoots up to 50. Now it's 50-50, okay? And a lot of people would applaud and go, see, it's working, it's working, it's working. And I would say, no, no, no. That has nothing to do with it. Let's get in there and see how those people are working together. Is that now that 50-50 split of white managers and black managers able to produce more uh, um, business for that company or that corporation? Are they able to service more people? Is there more um, peace and happiness and joy? Are they all getting along? And if not, it doesn't matter if that number gets up to 100%. You see, because uh, um, black people and no white people I would still go, it's still wrong, it's still off, because if you have a hundred people, right, a hundred slots, let's just say a hundred slots, and it's just clean and clear, 100 slots, and there, it started with 75, 25, you know, 75 white, 25 black, or it doesn't matter, let's, let's jump that up to 75 black and 25 white. Five years later, let's go, it, it's 100% black. Well, that tells you that 25 jobs 25 people were pushed out one way or another to make room for another 25. A lot of people, again, would applaud at that, but I'm going to say no, because that's still racism at work. So when it's down 9%, you know, a lot of people, again, will say, see, something's not working. It's not working, because if it's down 9%, there's fewer female black managers, then that means somebody took those jobs who weren't black females. Okay. And the, the question I would ask then is why? Now, maybe they retired and there was no other person to take their place except, I don't know, a white person or some, you know, uh, Hispanic or Asian, whatever. That's fine. But when they're presenting it like this, you have to see that the, you have to at least wonder, where did that DEI training go to? Did it cause greater division? Did it cause greater... Uh, a bigger uh, a gap between them? Did it cause anger and animosity? Or did 9% of these female uh, black managers retire or move on to a better job? You see, it, it, it's just, it's odd to me that um, number one, we, we even need this stuff. We don't need this stuff because it's garbage and it's causing division. But what's odd to me is that these companies are paying billions of dollars to push this nonsense and this garbage on their people. Basically saying that if you're white, you're oppressive. If you're white, you're ignorant. You know, and I've met some of them, and that that's true. But 
The same could be said for people of all races. We're human beings. We are human beings. And we're all subject to the same uh, faults and failures. And we're subject to the same strengths. Anyways, let me, let me try to finish this. I promised myself I wouldn't drag this out too much. Anyways, uh, it says this. It's not about data, says Smith. It's about a power grab. So Eric Smith says this. It's not about data. It's about a power grab. One that starts in schools. Smith attended a conference of rhetoric professors where the conference leader, Aseo Ino, I can't even pronounce this. The person's name is A-S-A-O-I-N-O-U-E. Aseo Inoue declared it racist to grade students on traditional English. Smith sent a group email in response saying, it's a disservice to minority kids not to teach standard English. Instead of addressing Smith's points, other professors attacked him, calling him racist. Do you enjoy using Western modes of argument to invalidate people of color? I hope for the day that folks like you will learn how to check their privilege. Now, again, ladies and gentlemen, Eric Smith, Professor Eric Smith is, is a black gentleman, a black professor. And he's the one who said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a disservice. Now his own colleagues are coming against him, calling him a racist for standing up, okay, for standing up and not wanting to do a disservice to kids in school, especially the minority children. He wants them to learn English because he wants them to succeed. Anyways, let me go on. It says, we are professors in communication, Smith told me. I thought we could communicate. I was wrong. They saw in me a threat, a black person saying it's okay to teach black students standardized, standardized English. And that's seen as a threat today, ladies and gentlemen. An academic named Eve accused Steve of perpetuating harm. Other academics joined in to praise the tremendous labor (laughs) Eve spent writing the email. (laughs) So check this out. So Eve writes this this ugly email to Professor Smith. All right. (laughs) And in this email, Eve accuses... Professor Smith of perpetuating harm. Other academics, okay, that means brainiacs, okay, other supposedly smart people, joined in to praise the tremendous labor, it says in quotations, Eve spent writing the email. Oh my gosh, you've got to be kidding me. Eve writes, Professor Smith, I disagree with you because you are perpetuating harm on these otherwise, you know, downtrodden children who've had some bad experiences in life. And remember, this is America where we have been treated harmfully and shamefully. And I'm, I'm making all of this up, ladies and gentlemen. It doesn't say this. I'm just trying to imagine what she could have um, written to uh, Professor Smith <laughs> to get the praise of her other academics. And then after she pushes the send button and she breaks out into a sweat because of all the strenuous work of typing an email and pushing send, her her uh, peers join in to praise her for the tremendous labor Eve spent writing the email. I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to this. This is absolutely it's it's again this is this is like comedy central. These people are these people are funny. I, I mean, these are supposed to be academics and and professors in communication as Smith called them all. 
And uh, you know what? They're, they are. They're good at it. They're, they're communicating to me some humor. They're, you know, I mean, I, I, can see, I can see Eve over there finish typing up this letter, sweat pouring down her face, and just barely having enough strength to, to lift up her arm one last time to click, to just give that little click on the send button. And as she falls and slumps back into her chair, sweat pouring down her her blouse drenched with sweat from this tremendous work that she had just done three or four of her colleagues running over there one with a water bottle one with a towel one with just a, a smile and and holding her head up as they help her to drink this water and they pat her head down for the tremendous as it says labor that eve spent writing an email <laughs> That one almost made me choke, ladies and gentlemen. I almost choked upon my own silliness. <coughs> I want to say thank you. I don't know who these people are. I don't know who Eve is other than her first name, Eve. But I want to thank you. I just want to say thank you because they say laughter is the best medicine. <coughs> and let me tell you, other than choking on myself because I just breathed wrong and I was laughing, I feel great right now. I feel really good. My brain hurts a little bit from trying to uh, um, trying to, you know, picture this foolishness in real world action. But other than that, I feel great. Laughter is truly the best medicine and you gave me a great dose of medicine here. Let me go on. It says, they're victims, I say, bewildered. That's the point, Smith responds. Perpetuate the victimhood. This isn't even logical. His academia has gone insane, I ask. Smith laughs, yes, it has gone insane. Today, some sensible people are pushing back. Education reformer Chris Rufo proposes a DEI alternative called EMC. EMC stands for Equality, Merit, and Colorblindness. Sounds good to me, but woke college activists say colorblindness is evil because it denies that racism exists. Ladies and gentlemen, this is so funny. This is so strange because when I was younger, still a young man, colorblindness is what we were all told we were supposed to have. That when you looked at that person over there, you didn't see color. You saw a human being. When you looked at that other person over there, you didn't see color. You saw a human being. You saw hopes and you dr- dreams and you saw that they were able to really make it in this world and do something profound and we were all to work together and, as one and move culture, society in this world forward in everything right and good. And it was all based upon being colorblind. Now being colorblind is racist because you deny the, that racism exists. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Merit, I'm going to continue reading. Merit is bad because the way it's measured must be biased because the results show racial disparity. This is why some colleges have dropped admission tests and why many high schools eliminated honors classes. If you wanted to hold down a group of people, says Smith, this woke thing is a good strategy. He has it absolutely right. This is not about elevating anybody. This is about holding a certain people down and driving wedges between that group of people and other groups of people. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I hate to break this to you. Um, uh, people uh, in the black community, the Hispanic community, and, and you're targeted the most, the little bit darker skin, you are targeted the most. In the Democrat liberal mind, okay, they act like they're your savers and they're not. They've created things to push you down even further so that you rely on them, okay? They're making you subject to the Democrat, liberal, Democrat ideology and party, okay? Then they drive wedges between you and other races, okay? So so it gives this up 
appearance that all white people look down on all you black people and all you Hispanic people. We just look down on you like we're somehow better. And the idea of white supremacy and those words are used and white privilege are thrown around so much that people don't even understand what it is anymore or why it is. It's just thrown around and it's it's just eaten up automatically. And unfortunately, the people that are buying into it, regardless of the race, this isn't just a black thing, it isn't a Hispanic thing, it's not a white thing, it's, it's a human thing. The people that are buying into this nonsense, and it truly is nonsense, are the ones that are truly ignorant. They don't know. Oh yeah, you might have been educated, but you've been educated wrong. And I'm sorry, but you're making yourself look, feel, and a lot of people say, well, you know, um, those, I've, I've talked to those people. I can't find a job. Well, it's because your attitude. What do you mean my attitude? Who do you think you are? They're not going to push me around on the job. They're not going to tell me what to do. Well, that's what they do at a job. Well, they only hire white people. No, they don't only hire white people. They hire people with that, without that nasty attitude. And, and again, ladies and gentlemen, somebody's going to say, see, you're being racist. You say black people have nasty attitudes. No, 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 no. I've seen this nasty attitude on so many. And it's growing everywhere. And everybody's becoming a victim right now. The whole concept in that li- that title that we, the Karens, you know, the, the ones that are always whining and have the attitude and they're better than everybody else and you should do it all their way. You know, being a Karen really isn't about race. It isn't even about gender anymore. It's about that whiny, nasty attitude that people are not going to put up with. It doesn't work in the real world. So guess what? Yeah, you're not given that job, especially the job if you have to deal with customers and you're put, you know, that 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 goes out there. You're you're stuck in the back. Those whiny people, if you're going to get a job, you're going to be the janitor. If you're going to get that job, and again, this has nothing to do with race. So if anybody's sitting there back there, you said, see, black people are only going to be janitors. No, I did not. I did not. <laughs> it sucks that I have to actually preface all of these things because of the mindset of most people out there today. That if I say you have an attitude and they'll, if you do get the job, you'll be the janitor. See, he said black people, never mentioning race, you know, not at all. And and that's, it, it's honestly, it's just ridiculous. But, you know, if you want to stay in that mode of having attitude, having the chip on your shoulder, regardless of who you are, having the chip on your shoulder, you're not going to be told what to do. You're going to do your own thing. All of that. Okay, then you'll be stuck at home without a job, hoping that the uh, that the welfare check comes in. And again, that has nothing to do with color. I've met many people in my lifetime of all colors, all races that have had that problem. And it took a long time for some of them, long time for some of them to grow out of that, grow up and actually do a good job. Anyways, I didn't think this one article was going to take me this long. Anyways, let me let me see. So uh, if you wanted to hold down a group of people, says Smith, this woke thing is a good strategy. And that's what they're doing. The achievement gap between black and white students has been widening lately. A better solution, says Smith, is to ignore the censors debate. People don't say what they feel because they don't want to get canceled, get called racist. People are censoring. We have to stop doing that. And that's the end of that um, first article. And that was again by John Stossel. Every Tuesday at johnstossel.com, Stossel posts a new video about the battle between government and freedom. So please, you know, you you can go click the link and get to that. Now the next one, I want to read piggybacks on that. Again, the first one was John Stossel basically interviewing and speaking to 
Professor Eric Smith, and that was published March 22nd, 2023. This next article is entitled, Black People Who Oppose Critical Race Theory Are Being Erased. And this is an opinion piece out of Newsweek, uh, newsweek.com. And it's actually written by Eric Smith, Professor Eric Smith. And, at the, and it was published uh, September 7th, 2021. So we're going back about a year and a half-ish. And uh, again, this was about a year and a half ago where the John Stossel was just recently. So uh, Professor Eric Smith has been in this work and in this study for at, at least a couple of years. I'm sure longer, but at least a couple of years just by these two um, articles. And uh, I guess at this time he was associate pre- professor at York College of Pennsylvania. Let me read this. It says, Our current moment is often described as a racial reckoning. In reality, what, has often, what this often means is that a narrative about black victimization has gone mainstream. We hear endlessly about systemic racism, white supremacy, the black-white income gap, and police brutality. So powerful an ideology has this narrative become that those of us who oppose a credible counter-narrative, black anti-woke writers, for example, frequently find our words being misconstrued in an effort to stanch their impact. I have so much to say even on that first opening paragraph, but I'm going to hold off for just a moment. This doesn't happen to everyone who opposes the critical social justice narrative of black victimization. White dissenters are simply called racist. While many black dissenters are considered tragic victims of internalized racism. But things get ugly when woke critical social justice proponents encounter a certain kind of black person who does not align with their preferred victim narrative and instead emphasizes his or her own individual or self-regard. Such people present a threat to the woke narrative since that narrative insists that all black people are victims of white supremacy meaning anyone who insists on their individuality and their own power proves the falsity of that victim narrative. If the woke narrative were true, such people should not be able to exist. I hope you caught that, that, uh, you know, with all this woke ideology, ladies and gentlemen, that's flying around and everything, that if a person of color, a black person, says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, I don't buy into all of that. I'm not a victim. Then they are pretty much marginalized, ostracized, pushed off to the side, and written off and, you know, and, oh, poor baby. He doesn't even understand that he's a victim of racism. <laughs> Someone chooses not to be a victim. They choose not to live as a victim. They choose to to um, work with their own two hands and, and work to get ahead and create a life for themselves. And because they don't buy into that whole wokeism mentality, uh, they're written off as, as um, just, oh, they're just victims of even deeper racism. Poor, poor, poor. Poor, poor, poor person there. They're just victimized. Look at him making it in this world. Owning a house and having two cars and a job and a wife that loves him and kids that love him. Look at this. He's not a part of our woke mentality. He doesn't do what we do. He's such a victim in his nice neighborhood, in his nice car, and his nice clothes. He's such a victim. <laughs> this is ridiculous, ladies and gentlemen. Um, uh, I got to get on with this. I got to get on. I have so much to say. Anyways, let me read this. Which means that when we claim to exist, anti-racist woke warriors need to erase us. 
using a logical fallacy I call erase and replace. Erase and replace is a combination of the straw man and the ad hominem logical fallacies. The move invokes taking the argument someone is making and substituting it for one that fits more neatly into the woke victim narrative by specifically targeting the character of the challenger, since it is, in part, their character that is in the greatest challenge. A recent example was telling, in Stop Calling Me White for Having the Wrong Opinions, Angelo Eduardo discussed his ostracism from his black and Dominican peers as a teen and argued that mandating people of color to all have the same values, tastes, and belief dismisses their individuality and self-regard. My failure to fit in in high school was painful, but it gifted me with a perspective that I now cherish, right, Eduardo, who ultimately chose to opt out of racial and ethnic labeling. I am not white, but I'm not black or brown either. I'm human. And I will proudly say so when prompted. I will not tow the ideological line. I refuse it, and I refuse its imposition upon me. Unfortunately, Eduardo's triumph of the spirit represented a defeat of anti-racist critical social justice. After all, a black man who is happy, successful, and fulfilled without embracing victimhood is a formidable threat to the narrative in which systemic racism oppresses all people of color. So Eduardo was erased and replaced. Instead of engaging with his actual words, anti-racists proceeded to misconstrue them and to misconstrue him. Ladies and gentlemen, I see that happening all the time in on every level, on every level. I mean, this is not, again, this is not just about black people. I know this is being spoken directly about black people because the person who wrote this article, Professor Eric Smith, is a black gentleman and he's writing about his experiences and what he sees. But I could tell you this in so many other areas as well. See, this is not unique to the black race. They're not unique to... uh, um, you know, anything like that. Because why? Because I've seen this with so many people where they dismiss things that they don't want to face. This happens in the area of religion. This happens in the area of theology. That happens in the area of race. And it happens with every race on some level where instead of just being honest and facing the facts or hearing somebody's opposing view and, and, and then walking it out to see if that opposing view actually has merit, they just dismiss it and replace it, you know, erase and replace, as um, Professor Eric Smith said. So it's not about really race, to be honest with you. It just so happens, again, that this particular article is. But this could be written about so many different things and so many different groups. Anyways, let me finish this. New York Times writer and Howard University professor Nicole Hannah-Jones' response was a classic in the erase and replace genre. This was terrible, but seems the appetite is endless for the I don't consider myself black, but am mad black people question my blackness think pieces, she wrote on Twitter. I mean, when you yourself say you are not black, why are you upset that black people respect your choice and don't consider you black either. Hannah Jones tweet erased the fact that Eduardo's rejection for being too white caused his rejection of racial labels, reversing the sequence of events and making Eduardo sound nonsensical and perhaps more importantly anti-black. Hannah Jones erased Eduardo and replaced him with a contrived character too absurd to take seriously. 
Sadly, this is just one example of many. Erase and replace was a primary tactic during the infamous debacle at Evergreen State College where Brett Weinstein, someone who identified himself as deeply progressive, was painted as a racist fascist. While students of color who come to his defense and insisted they are not oppressed were ignored and painted as lost by student protesters. You can see Erase and Replace at work in in what happened when Black Lives Matter protesters shouted, shouted down Camille Foster when he tried to defend free speech as a benefit to black people in 2017. For so many years in this country, and I'm pointing to the 1960s in particular, speech protections were used by minority groups who were fighting for civil rights. And it was essential for them to be able to secure those rights in order to advocate. Foster said on a panel before being shouted down by protesters. In other words, for defending black rights, Foster was cast as someone defending white supremacy. So to many people in the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, if you will, or in that genre, that mentality, um, am I reading that right when black yeah, Black Lives Matter protesters. So in the Black Lives Matter protesters, that movement, if peop, uh, black people actually have freedom of speech and use freedom of speech, somehow that's defending white supremacy. So a black person who has the ability, not just the right, but the ability and uses it to speak his mind on such issues is defending white supremacy. You see, ladies and gentlemen, what happened with the Black Lives Matter movement, I was never in agreement with it, not because of of the title Black Lives Matter, because, of course, Black Lives Matter, all lives matter. Um, but certainly, Black Lives Matter, absolutely. I believe 100% in that idea. I didn't believe in that movement because it was spearheaded by a group called Black Lives Matter who was pushing... Um, LGBT agenda. They were pushing uh, Marxism, communism, and they were doing it through violence, riots, and such. Everything that I was opposed to. The concept, Black Lives Matter, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's where it got a lot of people in trouble because they didn't want to say, do you believe in Black Lives Matter? If they said no, thinking of the organization, they're automatically racist. If they said yes, well then get out there and march with us because I had that happen to me. Of course, Black Lives Matter. I said to somebody, you know, well, good, then we're going to have a Black Lives Matter march and you better be there. No, I'm not going to be there. I thought you said Black Lives Matter. Black lives do matter, but not that organization. That organization is wicked, but that organization is about Black Lives Matter. Oh, the, when people replace understanding and level-headedness for anger and hatred, you have problems, regardless of the race, ladies and gentlemen. Just want to throw that out there. Anyways, let me finish this. <clears throat> there, these are just a few of the more high-profile examples of erase and replace. Unfortunately, this phenomenon is something that black thinkers who deviate from the anti-racist narrative know all too well, and it has happened to me too. Years ago, I read it I wrote an essay like Eduardo's that chronicled my social rejection for the crime of inauthentic, inauthentic blackness. In that essay, I made an argument compared to uh, Eduardo's. Thanks to his rejection, I had resolved to forego racial labels. Instead, I argued for a radical individualism based on self-regard. In responding to my work, a prominent rhetoric scholar literally changed my words to make me seem easily refutable 
and quite pathetic to prove that blacks attempting to transcend labels suffer from internalized racism. It is sad to me when anybody plays a victim or thinks of themselves as a victim. It is even more sad when people of a certain group demand everybody in their group play the victim, think of themselves a victim, act a victim. Even to the point that when somebody breaks out of that victimhood and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, the grass truly is greener on the other side when you just take responsibility for yourself, stop playing a victim and work hard and do what you need to do, you can make it. Oh my gosh, look at him. He suffers from internalized racism because he's making it on his own. He's not playing a victim. He's not giving in to that. He must be suffering from internalized racism. So people that are free of racism are all are all victims, according to what I'm reading here, all victims and unable to make it on their own without the very group or party that first made them victims in the first place. It's absurd. Let me finish reading this. I believe Ed- Eduardo and I were erased and replaced because our individuality as black men threatened the victim's narrative. In arguing for a black identity rooted in self-esteem rather than victimhood, I'm in seeing ourselves as having already achieved such an identity, we challenge the very foundation of critical social justice. Thank God. And because our challenges to wokeness is rooted in character, the erase and replace tactic builds on its into its straw man of our arguments and an ad hominem fallacy against our character because it is a question of character that inadvertently deals too heavily a blow to the victim narrative. The woke simply cannot afford to acknowledge us for who we are, so they instead attack us for who we aren't. You know, yeah, I have had that happen to me so many times that when I'm arguing with people along these types of lines, you know, even when I'm trying to build somebody up, I remember trying to build a group of people up that were all like like the woke-mindedness. We're never going to achieve anything because we have to go to communism and, and all of this to achieve anything because you guys messed it all up and everything. It's like, no, no, you don't have to do that. And I was trying to explain to them, you have it, you have what it takes, you have the potential, you have the brains, you have the strength, you have the numbers, you have everything. Just do it. Let's make this happen. I can help you. I can show you. I was telling this group of people this. And then they started getting mad at me and and, and calling me all kinds of names. Sexist, homophobe, racist, and and all of these things. I'm like, what? And then saying, you said this. No, I never said that. Yes, you did. No, I never said that. Show me where I said that. And of course they couldn't. Then they just come up with another lie. Well, you did say this. And this is what you meant when you said this. We know this is what you meant. How do you know that's what I meant? And it was so convoluted that I finally just walked away and I just threw my hands up and go, fine, if you want to stay in that victim mentality and do nothing with your life and be nothing for the rest of your life, go for it. But when you're ready, here I am. And do you know what I'm going to be doing? I'm going to be doing some Charlie Sheen. Winning. I'm winning. Duh. <laughs> Sorry, I had to throw in little Charlie Sheen there. <laughs> Let me finish this. Instead of engaging with our arguments on the merits, the purpose of erasing and replacing is to forego engagement and damage group standing. Psychologist Wayne Schwartz writes that the purpose of such a tactic is to show that the perpetrator is not and perhaps never was a member in good standing in the community. Psychologists William Torres and Raymond uh, Bergner suggest that people willing to degrade those with opposing views feel degraded themselves. Erase and replace is an attempt to stave off further degradation. Perhaps white supremacy is the target 
of this character assassination, but intra-group wellness and solidarity take the hit. Moreover, when a prominent figure in a social justice movement chooses to erase and replace a perceptive or perceived foe, sympathetic audiences may be motivated to comply. When telling a professor how a scholar of anti-racism erased and replaced me, I was told that his this academic was just telling his truth. His truth. That's what he, he says. His truth. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no such thing as your truth and my truth and their truth and somebody else's truth. It's just truth. Truth. Another more prominent professor told me that everybody does that. It's no big deal. I can only assume this person did not quite understand that the rendering of my quote was not a misinterpretation, but a dis disinterpretation, a deliberate tampering with my words. Both men were white and considered themselves allies of social justice. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? I, I will honestly tell you that white people, of course, can be racist. Not everybody that is white is racist, but People like these two men that, as it says here, are considered, they consider themselves allies of social justice. They are the true racist. They are the true racist. And it's not just them. There's a lot of people of various colors from various races that are true racists, all in the name of ending racism. But when you have to pit one race against another race to, in their mind, end racism, well, you've become the racist. Anyways, let me go on. I'm almost done. When it comes to erasing and replacing, perhaps this should be our primary concern. The fact that people use the erase and replace strategy is truly disconcerting, but the fact that it actually works is downright scary. Of course, no race has a monopoly on character assassination, and that is true, ladies and gentlemen. No race has a monopoly on character assassination, but it's more unsettling when done among people who seemingly have the same goal, the well-being of people of color. So much for racial solidarity. <clears throat> You know, um, it's 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 heartbreaking just reading this. I, I'm not. I'm of course. I'm I'm white. I'm not black, but it's it's heartbreaking reading this because I, you, you know, I can't jump into this guy's head and heart. So when I say I feel his pain, I don't know exactly what he's feeling. But I have gone through some similar things in this sense, where uh, uh, as a uh, as a preacher of the Word of God and an apostle. Just in a nutshell, I'm supposed to, as, a, as an apostle, apostles are what they call revelators in that sense. They are gifted to be able to see things in the Word of God that, well, take a little bit deeper understanding. This is not because we're smarter. It's just because of a certain gift, all right? And every one of the fivefold giftings, whether it be apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, we all are wired differently to fulfill the, the different calls on our life and in ministry. I said that to say this. So when I, as an apostle, and I dig into the word, and I'm seeing things that that other people just seem to pass over and not understand or not see, and and, and, and that's okay, because they're going to see things that I'm not going to see. And then when I try to teach these things, and, I, and it's not just that people have a hard time with it because they've never heard this before, all right? Like, they've never heard this before. But when I'm called names... I'm ostracized. I'm pushed. Uh, let me tell you what happened. I had a cousin, and my my cousin and I were at one point very, very close, very close. Uh, um, just, we're cousins, but we lived very near each other. We spent a lot of time to each other, and I was helping to bring him up in the ministry. And um, there was a big falling out, and I wish I could get into it. Maybe I will on on the air because I'm sure some other people can identify with this. But there was a falling out, and um, 
it was it was just very strange okay it was the, the way everything happened but at one point at one point my cousin said this from the pulpit okay from the pulpit i'm sitting in the church he says this from the pulpit to the whole entire church and he says this about me okay he says you know uh my cousin rob over here rob he could teach anything he could teach anything anything in that word of god he can teach He'll dig it up, he'll find out the truth, and he'll not only teach it, but teach it in such a way that you'll get it, and it'll change your life. True revelation. I sat back, actually, in amazement that he said that, because, again, we had we had, had this weird, strange falling out, and it really, um, really hindered our relationship even till today. But he said that, and it made me think and wonder then, you know, Okay, he has this understanding. He realizes this. This is part of my gifting. I can help him, right? I wonder when he's going to come and pull on my brilliance, pull on my understanding and my revelatory gifting. When is he going to pull on that so that he and this church can capitalize and grow on the brilliance that is Robert Enos? Hey, that was fun. I like doing that. Anyways, nonetheless... I actually sat back. When is he going to come? You know, when is he going to open that door? Because he admitted it with his own mouth that I could teach. I can. I have something of value to to offer the people. You know, he never did. He he never did. I, as a matter of fact, I was pushed to the side even more and more and more. I was lied about from that same pulpit. I was treated horribly by him, family member. My children were treated horribly. I mean, my children try to go play with his kids. I mean, they're. They're cousins, second cousins, but cousins. And one time they were going to go play together and, and his his kids looked at my kids and said, no, we're not allowed to play with you. And they literally stuck up their nose like little snobs and walked away from my children. My children were heartbroken. So I understand what it's like to be a part of a group and then be ostracized because of a difference of opinion and a different uh, and a difference, uh, in way we see things. And some people say, well, you'll never know what it's like to be black. No, you're right. I never will. I'm just saying in that sense, I, I can at least uh, have that kind of connection, that kind of, you know, uh, that kind of understanding. So I my heart breaks for him because sometimes when you really think that you're a part of something, something that's going somewhere, something that you can just, you know, when you're around certain people, you can just let your hair down and be you. Then all of a sudden, those very people stab you in the back and throw you on the wayside. And even though you're ap- you, you're right, you know you're right. Um, so much as he as he says here, so much for racial solidarity. And I would say, in my own, you know, what I experienced, so much for family solidarity. I would say other things. I've, uh, you know, had to go through some things with different ministries and such. So much for that, you know, ministry or you know, unity, solidarity. It doesn't exist except when you toe somebody else's line. You are accepted, and we will treat you like a brother as long as you do everything our way. And that's even in the ministry, ladies and gentlemen. Anyways, I'm almost done. So what can we do? We can all do better job of looking into things for ourselves instead of taking another's interpretation as fact, regardless of the person's ethos. We can refrain from erasing and replacing, which like all intentional logical fallacies is a sign that someone has no confidence in making a point with sound arguments or facts. Lastly, we can realize that black people are not monolithic. We have so many viewpoints that one that one person's take, even if considered a leader among black Americans, is just that, one 
person's take. Ultimately, if we cannot acknowledge people for who they are, then who are we? Let me read that last sentence. Ultimately, if we cannot acknowledge people for who they are, then who are we? And again, this is Eric Smith. And when this was written, he was an associate professor of rhetoric at York College of Pennsylvania. He is also a co-founder of Free Black Thought and a senior fellow for the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism. His latest book, A Critique of Anti-Racism in Rhetoric and Composition, The Semblance of Empowerment, was published by Lexington Press. And again, I'll put the link that you can read this without any of my input. But I again, I have to agree with him. Now again, he was a he's a black professor, black gentleman. So he's writing from that point of view, primarily about his experiences with black people. But if this could have been written about most, any group, any any person of color, white, brown, black, yellow, green, purple, blue, could have been written. And it could have been written about even other things such as people in ministry or family. Much of what I read there literally pertains to everybody, every one of you listening, regardless of, of the actual color of your skin. See, this is what I'm saying. My point on that is the whole concept and idea, well, I'm not going to say all of it because there is some true racism out there and it needs to be stopped and it needs to be dealt with. But many people are making racism where racism doesn't exist or they are taking this little tiny seed of racism and turning it into a tree of racism. And often in doing so, the ones that are trying to quote unquote erase the racism are the ones that become the racists in the end. You know, you can't be, what if as a, as a white guy, okay, here I'm a white guy. Let's assume for just a moment. And I have uh, this first part is I'm not making this up, but was a, you know, um, I suffered at the hands of racists towards me. People that didn't share my skin color, but didn't like me simply because I didn't share their skin color. What if, what if I was looked down upon, treated horribly? And I was, and it was purely about race. And then standing from that vantage point, from that place of having maybe one, two, or a small group of people that didn't share my color come against me, in a racist fashion, and I use that as a platform for the rest of my life to put everybody that shared their skin color or their race into the category of being racist against me. It's now, it's like, um, actually, I can think of at least two times this has happened to me in my life. One was by a small group of black people that genuinely treated me really horribly simply because of I was white, and they told me that. As they were throwing, um, you know, they were calling me names such as uh, honky and cracker and um, what else? Of course, white boy, you know, uh, things of that nature and a few that I didn't even really understand. But nonetheless, they were, you know, throwing some racial epithets at me and treated me horribly simply because I was white. And then another time there was it was um, Hispanic, a larger group of Hispanic, and they were treating me bad just simply because I uh, wasn't Hispanic. Okay, now, should I use that to build a platform to call every black person now black supremacists and every uh, brown person, person uh, Hispanic, Latino, 
uh, now you're a brown supremacist. You are all racist against especially white people, but even one another. Oh my gosh, if that's my take, then what an ignorant, foolish, low-level understanding that I have and the inability to judge people by their own personal actions. If I'm going to throw the whole group, people that weren't even there under that blanket just because, how wicked and how foolish it is. That's why this whole idea, when when we hear this all the time, it's not just alluded to, but there is, some are saying it directly. All white people are racist. All white people are suprem- white supremacists. The ignorance of those statements, regardless of who's saying that, and even if it's white people saying this against black people or Hispanic people or Hispanic people saying this against black people or white people or, or, or God forbid any of us saying it against Asians. Come on. If we're lumping a whole group of people, a whole entire race, everybody that looks somewhat like that particular race under that umbrella and saying they're all uh, um, racist, they're all whatever it is, whatever race, black supremacist, Asian supremacist, you know, uh, Hispanic supremacist white supremacist that is ignorance of some of the highest level because most of those people that are saying those types of things never met me never met my friends never been around us it, it, it's so ridiculous it is absolutely ridiculous what we have become and what we're doing and they say it's to end racism but what it's doing is causing more racism <sighs> i like well let me see i like it this last sentence again for what it says i don't like it because it's something that we have to actually face and it takes work. And this is one reason why it's just easier to lump everybody under a a blanket like you're racist and walk away. It takes some work to actually get to know somebody. But ultimately, as Professor uh, Eric says, Eric Smith, ultimately, if we can't acknowledge people for who they are, then who are we? Racism sucks. Thank you for joining us at Table Flippers. I truly appreciate you. You can write me at gwccrobert.com at gmail.com that's gwccrobert at gmail.com please let me know how I'm doing remember to pick up some of our merchandise you can find the link at gwcclancaster.org that's gwcclancaster.org until next time be continually blessed